Bibles now, if you would please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And this morning we're returning to our study, the Sermon on the Mount, this very practical teaching that Jesus gives. And we're on a subject that in some way has touched every single person in the room today. We're talking about the subject of divorce. And if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you've been divorced, or if there's someone in your family who's been divorced, or if you know somebody who's been divorced, I know, I know every, every hand in, our, in the room here would go up today. I was joking with the Sunday morning forum class this morning that if I ever preach on this again, somebody please shoot me before I ever uh, get ready to do that. But then I realized that in Matthew chapter 19, the subject comes up again, and I have to deal with it there. So I think I'll do what Brother Dalton said this morning. Lord, take me home before I get to Matthew 19 or something. <laughs> but some are very uncomfortable when you begin to teach on the subject of divorce. And I don't teach on this for the purpose of demeaning anyone. And I'm not saying that divorced people are uh, second-class Christians and they're pariahs that we need to stay away from because they're very good, godly Christian people who have been through divorce and now they're very, very useful members of the body of Christ. But having said that, neither do I minimize divorce. And I don't want to tell you that God doesn't care about it uh, because Jesus very clearly has something to say about this and his opinion of it is not good. Divorce is not God's intention and there is no way that two people can go through a divorce unless one or the other is involved in a very serious sin. But the problem today is that divorce is so common that we almost enter into marriage expecting it. And so there are people that before the marriage license is ever signed or before they apply, they have everything in order. They've been to see a lawyer. They've drawn up their prenuptial agreements and done all of that because they think that inevitably the marriage could end. And so they're prepared for divorce before they ever get started. Now, in the eyes of God, marriage is much more serious than that. And all that you really need to do is just look at the language that the Bible uses. The Bible speaks about this and, and God very, makes it very clear to us that God intends that it be one man for one woman for all time. Now, the Bible says that when two people get married, that they become one flesh. They're joined together as one. And that's intended to tell us that marriage is an indissoluble union. And just as you wouldn't cut your body in two, you can't cut your marriage in two. And further, God uses this as emblematic of the most sacred of all relationships. And that's the love that Christ has for his church. He loves the church with an everlasting love. He gave his life for his church. And so when the Bible speaks about marriage, it says this. It says that husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So God does not want you to end a marriage because what it does, it destroys the symbol. For a man to leave his wife is to give us a picture that Jesus Christ would forsake his very own, that God would forsake the very ones that Jesus gave his life to save, that he would cut them off and he would send them to hell. We don't want to destroy that picture. And that's why a divorce can never be considered without a very terrible sin having been committed. Now, if that stirs your pot a little bit today and makes you uncomfortable, then so be it. Because God does not want us to be comfortable in our sin. God doesn't want his children to be comfortable in it. 
And so when the Word of God speaks to us and when it tells us what we ought to do, we shouldn't get angry about it. When a preacher stands in front of you and tells you this is what God says and very clearly the Word says this, you ought not to get mad about it. The thing you ought to do is be glad because God always blesses His children through the truth. And so if it makes you squirm, then rightfully so, because that's what God's Word is intended to do. And for those of you here today, if there's someone that's not saved, and my preaching of this message makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry about that, but there's really nothing that I can say to a lost person about the Word of God that can make them comfortable. You have to trust what God says and believe in Christ before you ever get comfortable with God's Word. Now, we're going to go into part number two, of the sermon about how God views divorce. We're going to read what Jesus has to say about this subject, and it comes in the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, committeth adultery. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word today, Lord, we ask for wisdom, we ask for understanding. We're dealing with a very difficult subject that touches the lives of nearly every person if not every person in this room today. And so, Lord, I ask you that as we look into your word, that we would accept what you have to say, that we would believe it, and that we would practice your holy word. Bless as we consider this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse number 31 begins, It hath been said. And that's Jesus' familiar way of introducing how the scribes and the Pharisees had misinterpreted the Old Testament commandments. There are six examples that Jesus gives throughout chapter 5, beginning in verse number uh, 21 in murder. And he continues all the way down to the end of the chapter with these examples that he gives of the Pharisaical misinterpretations of the law. It hath been said. That's what the rabbis said. That's what the teachers of these people said, and what they said was not the correct interpretation of God's Word. It hath been said. That is not the intent of God's Word. It's the letter of the law, and it's not the spirit of the law. Jesus follows every one of these examples with his own words. He says, but I say unto you, And that's not an addition to the law. It's not a correction of the Mosaic law. But what it is, is the real lawgiver himself, the one who has the authority, who's giving the correct interpretation. Many people miss that. And they look at this section of the Sermon on the Mount, and they think that what God or what Jesus is doing is that he's revealing a new standard for us. He's giving us a new, improved version of the Old Testament law. But Jesus' explanations are really the true meaning and the intent of God's law. Moses and the prophets meant nothing other, nothing different than what Jesus says in his explanations. Now you'll notice that Jesus says, Here is what you have been told about divorce. Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. 
Scribes and the Pharisees had gone back into the Old Testament Scriptures and they pulled out a statement that was made by Moses and they interpreted what Moses said to be a sanction upon this idea of divorce. Now that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 24. We read the Scripture last week and I want to read it to you again because it's integral to this discussion. Moses said in Deuteronomy 24, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, And it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. When she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord. And thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. We dealt with that scripture last week in detail, and I don't have time to go into that again this morning. So if you didn't hear the sermon last week and Uh, you need to tie it all together in a little bit different way, then get a copy of our CD, listen to it on the internet, because we don't have time to deal with all of that once again today. But we did begin last week with the law of divorce from Moses. What did Moses say in the law? And let me just say to you that Moses was not giving a sanction of divorce. He was dealing with a very pervasive problem much like we're facing in our own time today. And that's because there were people who were leaving their wives, men were leaving their wives, they were breaking up their families. And Moses spoke on the issue of divorce only because he was trying to reign in a very chaotic situation. There were wives that had been cast out by their husbands. They were being mistreated. They were thrown out of their houses. They were being abused. Their children were abused. They were being falsely accused. And so Moses address the issue of divorce to strengthen their marriages. Now that might seem like an odd thing to say, that we can actually strengthen marriage by giving laws on divorce. But that's what it turned out to be. This was helpful to their marriages because Moses was putting a severe restriction on the practice of divorce. Now these people were getting divorced for any and all reasons and what Moses was doing was cracking down on that. He was bringing the people back to the realization that God is very serious about our marriages. And so it was never Moses' intent to give blanket permission for divorce. He was trying to control it. and He was trying to put marriage back into the proper perspective. But typical of the pharisaical misinterpretations of God's law of the patriarch's intents and the prophet's intent. They took Deuteronomy 24 and they completely turned it on its end. And what they did was to use those scriptures to justify evil practices. And so then we see that there was great latitude of divorce from the Pharisees. They were saying you can do this for anything. Now, when Jesus began to uh, speak on the subject, he was hitting right at the very heart of the matter. He was going right to the self-righteous idea that they had. He was going to their hearts because they had a very deep-seated issue with their own hearts. Their religion had lapsed into formalism. It was the keeping of outward commandments, the adherence to all the external things. While Moses was doing everything that he could to try to put 
divorce back in the proper perspective, put marriage in the proper perspective, trying to rein things in. What the Pharisees were doing was everything that they could to open it up. And so the Pharisaical misinterpretation was that divorce can be justified for any reason. And they went even further. They said it's not just permissible, but it's commanded. The only thing that they were really interested in was the paperwork of divorce. Did they dot the I's correctly? Did they cross the T's correctly? Were the forms filled out correctly? And in their system, divorce was so commonplace that what it resulted in was simply legalized adultery. Now, it was like going down to the courthouse today. And you take a legal document down there, or what you think is your legal document, you have it all prepared, and you hand it to the clerk, and uh, you ask him to file that for you. Well, he doesn't care what's on the document. He wants to know, did you put it in the proper format? Is everything exactly like it's supposed to be? And this is the way it is sometimes, I think, with divorce in our country. That when your case comes up in divorce court, the judge really doesn't care the reason for your divorce. He just wants to know, did you get all the paperwork right? Is everything filled out correctly? Do you have the legalities? That's what it was like for the Pharisees. They were meticulous about form and function. All the externals had to be correct. But God's law and God's intent and what God says and the spirit of the law, they cared nothing at all about. They didn't care about marriage and what God intended for it, the sacredness of it, the holiness of it, the purity of it. Pharisees cared nothing for any of it. And so that's what Jesus faced when he looked them in the eye and he said, this is what you say, now here is what I say. So this is the authority of God Almighty himself. This is the authority of the lawgiver. This is the authority of the one who spoke from Mount Sinai. And it's no different today in 2009 than it was when Jesus spoke these words. These are God's words. And we are held accountable to God's word. Jesus is the judge. He holds our lives. He holds heaven and earth in his hands. He holds our destiny in his hand. And we have to pay attention to what Jesus says. So let's look. What does Jesus say about it? Well, this is, and this is the third part of your outline today, the legality of divorce from Jesus. What we have here is the right answer no matter what you or I think. We can't stand against this. It matters very little what we think about it. This is what God says. Four weeks ago, I began an exposition on marriage, and we looked at God's view of marriage, and I want to just extract one overall teaching to begin with today concerning what God says about marriage, and that is that marriage is permanent. In the eyes of God, marriage is permanent. You search through the Scriptures, and you're not going to find one place in the entire Bible that controverts God's idea about marriage that says that marriage is anything other than permanent. All of the language points to it. God took Eve and uh, out of Adam's side. She was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She was a part of his body. You see, marriage is not a contract that is drawn up because you have a license. Marriage is when God joins two people together. Now, don't say, well, what the pastor says today then is, you really don't have to have a license. No, no need to do that. Let's just go live together and that'll be just fine. No, you need a license because that's lawful. But man's laws are not primary when we talk about marriage. God is the one who seals a marriage for good. 
Now in Matthew 19, Jesus was asked about the issue of divorce and the permanency of marriage. And you really can't get any plainer than what he said there. Matthew 19, verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Therefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What God puts together, you are not supposed to tear apart. Now you can come up with all of the psychological reasons why you shouldn't get a divorce. There are many studies that have been done about it. No shortage of those. And we know the the effects that divorce has on society. We know what happens to children that are involved in divorce. We know all the bad things that come out of a divorce. Now may I respectfully say to you that all of that's true and all of that needs to be considered. But I don't need a psychologist to tell me why I shouldn't get a divorce. I don't need a marriage counselor to tell me why I don't get a divorce. The real reason, if you want to cut to the chase, is right here. You don't do it because God said not to. That's the reason. And that's the reason that you look at, no matter what anybody else says. That's primary. You always do what God says, and he commands against it. So God intends for a marriage to be permanent. Scripture says, what God hath joined together, man should not put asunder. So they came up with a question. Uh, They had their perversions of the Scripture. They twisted them out of proportion, and so they argued and they retorted with this. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? To which Jesus replied, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Jesus says, because you sinned, because your hearts were hard, you perverted God's intention. And because of that, Moses had to deal with it. But from the beginning, it was not so. God started out with one woman for one man. God put them together for all time. And there's no way that you can break that union without sin. Now, that hasn't changed. Marriage is still permanent. And before you ever take a vow, before you ever put on a ring ostensibly to seal that marriage, you need to think about it. You're not going to get out of a marriage unless there is sin. Well, what do we have? What's wrong? Man is sinful. And so there is the breaking of God's commandments. So that brings up a question. What happens When there's sin. Well, let me say, first of all, when there's sin, there's always forgiveness. When sin has been confessed, there's forgiveness. And so if your marriage partner has committed a terrible sin against you, a terrible act, there's always forgiveness. God's not happy about divorce, and marriages are not supposed to be broken. And so you always consider forgiveness first. Now, contrary to what the Pharisees taught, God doesn't command divorce. He doesn't say if this happens to you that you absolutely have to get a divorce. And that's because God forgives sin. He forgave things that were far worse than we could ever do to each other. God has forgiven. And forgiveness is always better than divorce. But is there a sin that could be committed that would allow you to break up a marriage and let it end in divorce? If marriage is permanent, is there any cause for which a marriage can be broken? How can something permanent be broken? Well, that's 
very difficult to reconcile at first. I mean, with everything that I've just said, uh, what are you going to do? I mean, it, it seems like it absolutely cannot be broken. But the lawgiver does give us something here. He does state it this way. Divorce may be permitted, but for only one cause. Now, how is that possible? Two have been joined together into one flesh, so how do you separate that flesh? You have to hold on to that thought because that's the key to the whole thing. The flesh has to be torn. And Jesus says how that's done. Now, in verse 32 of our text, But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now, there's one cause. There's one exception. And Jesus states it. Now, I don't know why we need to argue about that. I don't know why we have to argue something that, that's so clear in the Scripture. It's stated so clearly. So you needn't come to me with all different kinds of questions. What about this reason? Or, or what about that reason? People say, well, you don't understand the circumstances. You don't know what my husband did to me. You don't know what my wife did to me. You don't know how hard it is for me. And I realize there are bad circumstances there can be a wife out there that you have been terribly treated by your husband. He's abusive and he is dangerous. And I would say to you that you have every right to get out of the house. But you don't have every right to get a divorce. Jesus said, or as he was teaching on this, realizing that the very same conditions existed in his time as exist today. But Jesus didn't get into all of that. He didn't say, well, here's all the other reasons for you can do it. He simply, you can do it. He said, except for. And then he gave the only exception. And you're not going to find any other exceptions in the Scripture. Now, I know that's tough teaching. And it's the very reason why preachers do not talk about this from the pulpit. Do you know that there are, are preachers, there are people that expound the Word of God, they write on the Scriptures, they preach expository sermons, they go through Matthew chapter 5, and they go verse by verse by verse, they come down to verses 31 and 32, and they don't have anything to say about it. And the reason they don't, because what is so clearly stated, is not popular. But what do we do? Well, I've told you before that here in Berean Baptist, that we're going to preach the Word of God. We're going to take it verse by verse, and we come to the difficult subjects, we just deal with them. I don't make up the rules. I just preach what God's Word says. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, he says that there is one cause. He's given one exception. And so we better know what that one exception is. And we better understand what it is. He says fornication. Now, we notice that he doesn't say adultery. And that's significant because the Bible, you need to know when the Bible is speaking in specific terms and when it's speaking in broader terms. As you remember, I hope, that we looked at this word adultery in the Ten Commandments. And, and there we talked about how that adultery is a very broad term. It includes any sexual sin. Here, the word is used in the context of marriage. And so we do know what he's talking about when he says adultery. It means a sexual sin involving a marriage. It's when someone in a marriage is unfaithful to their partner and they have sex with another person. But we notice here in, in Matthew 5.32 that both fornication and adultery are used. And so that means that there is a distinction that's made between the two terms. Fornication is the broader term, and it includes adultery. That word fornication is the very same word from which we get pornography. And what it means is any kind of deviant sexual behavior. Anything that God does not approve of concerning sex. 
Now what that would mean is it includes things like homosexuality. God forbid it includes things like bestiality. That's in there too. That's all included. And so it doesn't mean only if you're or mean only your husband having sex, your wife having sex with another man, another woman. It means all type of illicit sexual behavior. But the idea behind this is the principle of one flesh. Now I want you to notice that something Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul had to deal with a lot of sexual sins in the Corinthian church. And when he uses adultery, he talks about it spiritually, he talks about it physically. But he says something interesting in the 16th verse of 1 Corinthians 6. He says, What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. So Paul is telling them, You don't want to go out and have sex with prostitutes. And that was a problem. In a highly sexually charged society, it was a real problem. Paul says, You don't want to go out and do that because when you do... When you have that relationship with a person, you are joining yourself to their body. You're joining flesh with flesh. And so when a husband or a wife goes outside of the marriage and they have sex with someone else, what are they doing? They're tearing away the flesh and they're joining it to another. Now that's why we have the one exception about divorce. The flesh has been torn and that's the only way that it can be torn. Now the other excuses, they're not violating the principle the one that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God said, bone of, uh, God says, you know, your flesh, you're, you're one flesh, bone of bone and flesh of flesh. God took Eve out of man's flesh. And so that's the only exception for getting a divorce. It's to tear that flesh. Now let me emphasize to you again that adultery and fornications are, are not reasons that you have to divorce. The Word of God says you don't have to divorce over it. Those Sins are terrible, but there's still forgiveness. You have permission according to Jesus, but you don't have a command to do it. Now, let's look at the next part, because this is very important too. Thirdly is illegal divorce makes more adulterers. Now, go back to verse 32. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, that is divorce, committeth adultery. Now what the scribes and Pharisees were doing was they were trying to make it all legal. They were trying to look at the, uh, the, the paperwork that's being done, the strictness of all the paperwork, and they said to each other and they taught the people, because we have the paperwork right, then nobody can accuse us of committing adultery. Jesus says that's all wrong. It's all wrong. If you've divorced your wife for any other cause except fornication then you cause her to commit adultery. And anybody who marries her commits adultery. Now that doesn't mean that when a man divorces his wife that she automatically becomes an adulteress. He means that if she goes out and she thinks that she's been released from the marriage and she goes and she marries another man, she commits adultery. And that person who marries her also commits adultery. Why? Because God never recognized the divorce. He never said that it was okay. So in God's, eye, uh, God's eyes, you're still married. Still married as, one is, as, as far as the one flesh principle is concerned. Now you see a problem? They thought that they were holy. They were filling out all the paperwork. They said, we can't be accused of adultery. But what they were really doing was filling the whole place up with more and more adulterers. 
Man, they had everybody and his grandmother who was an adulterer. So it's pretty easy to see when you get over to Matthew 16 what Jesus called them. He said, you are a wicked and an adulterous generation. Wicked wasn't good enough. He said, you are also an adulterous generation. And that's because they had all this whoremongering going on, all this adultery being committed because their marriages and their divorces were not right. And so they had multiplied upon multiplied illegal divorces that was pervasive throughout the entire society. And again, folks, that's true right here in Ronan Park. It's even true in our Baptist churches. People get divorced for any and all reasons. And what does it mean? There is adultery going on all over the place. Well, that brings up more questions. Now you see why preachers don't want to get into it. We, we go over this and we get into all this. And so what are we going to do about it? I mean, we've got all the, these people that have been divorced. And we have all these illegal divorces in God's eyes. He doesn't recognize them. What are you going to do? And so there's all kinds of questions and It's a very big subject, and maybe you want to ask some questions later about it. I had some in Sunday school this morning, and I expect there'll probably be more. But I did put a few questions on your listening sheet today that I want to address. And, of course, as I say, this is not by any means all of them, but just four questions here that may be on people's minds. So let's just end the sermon talking about these. Number one, what about remarriage after divorce? There are some who say that there can be no remarriage after divorce. Now, I'm talking about a divorce here that's a legal one, one that's legal in God's eyes, a divorce that ended because of fornication. Is it all right for a person to remarry? Some say no, and they say if you remarry that you're committing adultery. Well, we notice here that whenever the Bible talks about divorce, remarriage always comes up. It's always included in the subject. And so when Moses talked about divorce, he also addressed remarriage. When Jesus talked about it, he also addressed remarriage. When Paul talked about it, he talks about remarriage. So there's always the assumption that marriage is going to take place again. And so that's always considered in this. Marriage, remarriage is assumed. It's a natural assumption. And so if there is a legitimate cause, then it's okay to remarry because that person has been released from their marriage. The flesh has been torn away, and so they're no longer bound by that first marriage. Number two is, what if my husband or my wife leaves me? Now, there's only one cause for divorce, and abandonment is not a cause. I know that there are others who teach otherwise. There are preachers who believe differently, people, good Bible believers who believe differently, but I don't see it. Jesus said, except for, and then he gave that one reason. Now, here's what usually happens, though. And I addressed it in Sunday school this morning. People usually don't stay monogamous. It might happen, but most of the time it doesn't happen. And so if your husband or your wife leaves you, then what you must do, you must wait until you have absolute proof that that person has committed fornication. And I don't mean that you ought to pray that they will so that you can get remarried. I mean, what you ought to be praying is that they repent of their sin, that they make things right, and they come back. I mean, try to keep a marriage together. That's what you want to do. But leaving you is not a cause for divorce. They have to have done this one exception that Jesus speaks of. Now, number three, if I'm separated, is it okay to date? Well, as long as you're legally married, the answer is no. I mean, here we have a a matter of testimony that's involved, and, and you don't want to be unjustly accused of committing adultery yourself. 
Now let me expand on that just a little bit. What if my husband or my wife did commit adultery and we aren't yet divorced? Is it then okay for me to date? And I think that the answer to that is that the spirit of the law says no. I mean, we still have an issue of man's laws. And and in the judgment of the United States, you're still married to that person. And so you don't want to be accused. You don't want to have a bad testimony where you could open yourself up to being accused of adultery yourself. Now, here's the thing. If man's laws are not in conflict with God's laws, then man's laws are always to be obeyed. They're an extension of God's law. He commands us to to follow the laws of our country. And so, if you don't have a divorce that all the legalities are taken care of, even though your husband may have committed adultery, your wife may have committed adultery, then you wait. You wait until a divorce is final before you ever date. Now, I think this is probably a good place to bring us back to the overall principle that Jesus is teaching. And we keep coming back to it because all of the examples that we have in Matthew 5 are to show people how far short that we've fallen of God's eternal standard. The eternal standard is perfection. And these people had put together all their man-made laws, they had misinterpreted the Scripture, and the reason they did was because they could never reach God's standard. So they try to substitute a different standard for it. Now, do you see how difficult the issue is? We have all of these questions. We have all of these what-if scenarios. And the reason is there are so many ways for us to sin. There are so many possibilities of sin that we simply can't keep up with it all. And what does that tell us? One very important truth. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are never able to reach God's standard of righteousness. So Jesus' intent was to show that even the best of the best, those who think that they're the best of the best, they've also sinned. Who's he speaking to and who's he, who is he refuting in all of this? Well, he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. They're the religious leaders. They said, we are the best of the best. And really, they were the worst of the offenders. And so there's sin here. The only way that we can correct such things, this, this substandard idea of righteousness that we have, we have to look in the eyes of Jesus Christ. We have to look at him hanging on that cross because that's the only place that sin can be forgiven. You can never be good enough to get to heaven. You can never do anything righteous in order to get to heaven. Only Jesus can do it. He's the one who died to pay the penalty of our sins. We've broken God's law. We justly deserve to be punished because of it. But Jesus took the punishment for us. And so when you believe, your believing says that you trust Jesus to pay for your sins that you could not do for yourself. That's where all of this is going. Now, let's answer one last question. I think this is important for us. I have an illegal divorce, so what do I do now? I mean, you have a divorce that's for the wrong reason. What are you going to do? Now, the scribes and the Pharisees look for excuses to legalize their adultery. Their hearts were just wicked, and the vast majority of them never did what Jesus instructed them to do. What did Jesus tell people to do? Ask for forgiveness. And they never asked for forgiveness of their sins. Now you say, well, preacher, you don't have any right to judge me. You don't have any right to tell me this. You have no right to judge me over my sin. I'm not judging you. Far be it from me to judge you, Jesus Christ has already judged it. God's Word has already judged it. Christ's Word is the law, and it's your judge. 
So how are we going to undo all of these legal divorces? Well, of course, we know we can't do that. It's an impossibility. We can't change everything that's happened. So what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. We go to God and we say, I want you to forgive me of the sin that I've committed, and I'm determined I will follow you from now on. Jesus said, go and sin no more. So let's don't keep repeating the same old sins. God's view of divorce is that he hates it. He hates it for any reason. I mean, if you want to throw fornication in there and say, well, that's permissible because God says so, well, God still hates it. Sin has to be committed. And so here's the thing. No matter how badly that you've blown it, if you have had five marriages, it doesn't matter if you ask for forgiveness. God forgives whether you've been married one time or five times. Now, it's serious sin, but God forgives it. When, God, uh, when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, she had five husbands. She'd been divorced all of those times. And the one that she was living with right then was not her husband. And Jesus said to, to her, I forgive you of this. He gave her living water so that she never thirsted again. Now here's the thing that I'm telling you folks. We are living in a day of grace. We don't provoke God with our sin. We don't keep on doing it because there is grace. But because God has given us grace, we repent of our sin. We come back to Him. We tell God that we're sorry for this. We repent and we say, Lord, I'm going to follow you from now on. If you have an illegal divorce, some for the wrong cause, you may even be the cause, then you need to ask God to forgive you of that sin. And I promise you that He will forgive you. Many, many questions come out of this. And maybe you have some more, but I want you to know this. The most important thing, we live in a day of grace. God forgives us of our sins. Let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We deal with difficult things. Sometimes we don't even know how to approach them and, and even how to get the point across. But Lord, you know what our hearts are like. You know the evil that we're prone to enter into. And we have just so terribly mess things up in this world that we live in today. And it's all because we never listened to your word in the first place. But we thank you, Lord, that you do forgive sin. And we're not just talking about divorce and adultery and all these other things, but we're talking about every single sin that we commit every single day of our lives. You have the power to forgive. Lord, I pray that you would speak to some person's heart here today. If they've never asked for forgiveness for this, I pray that they would do that even right now and they would determine that they would follow you right now. I pray for those that are lost and involved in all of these things. There's no way to make that right. Uh, all that man can do can never make it right. The only thing that can is faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I ask you, Lord, to speak to, speak to some heart today. Bless us as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.